Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Realtor Sabra Kofer, online at sabrakofer.com, and to Street Volkswagen, online at streetvw.com. You can learn more and subscribe to Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Marcy Stewart. Marcy has one of those stories that you just can't help but be inspired by. She grew up in poverty. She dropped out of high school in order to start a career, and she eventually ended up homeless. Since then, though, she's earned her GED. She's gone to college. She's earned degrees. She's started and sold a successful small business. She's launched a ministry. She's lived in places like Atlanta and the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and has returned to Amarillo. And, well, we cover all that stuff and a lot more in this episode. Marcy is smart and upbeat and driven, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. Here's Marcy Stewart. Marcy Stewart, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I, I know that we've we've talked about doing this for, I think, more than a year we've yeah. been in touch. And so I'm glad that we've been able to have this conversation. And I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests and ask you why you're here. How did you end up in the Amarillo area in the first place? Okay. Well, I ended up in the Amarillo area. I moved here in the seventh grade. Okay. My mom and dad got a divorce and I ended up, we ended up in Amarillo. Where did you move from? Hereford. Okay. Hereford, Texas. So that wasn't too far of a move, but it's a pretty different community than Hereford. It was very different. Um, coming to a city and moving schools in the seventh grade was kind of hard. You know, I had to leave all my friends that I were used to. We grew up on the same block. Coming to a city at that time was totally different. Yeah, so. even even you know a couple of decades ago, I mean, the difference between Amarillo and Hereford is pretty stark. Hereford's a relatively big city, but it's still a small city compared to Amarillo. Yes, it is. Was it a, a positive change for you or did it feel like a negative change at the time? At the beginning, it felt like negative. But then when I got here, we, we got settled in, it was totally a positive change. Okay. Do you know how your family ended up in Hereford? My grandmother owned a farm in Hereford okay. and she owned a cafe. And so that's how they ended up coming from East Texas. They bought land and started their farm there in Hereford. Did you have any interest in farming or did you have to go out and, you know, do anything in the fields or anything like that when you were a kid? Or No, after hearing the stories from my mom about having to, how they had to get the chickens to the table mm-hmm. and how they had to get the cows, I had, I didn't want to have, have any parts of it. So. Okay. So you weren't interested in farming. You weren't no. interested in a cafe or anything like that, I guess? No, not in any of it. Where did you go to school when you got to Amarillo? When I got to Amarillo, my first school that I went to was Sam Houston Junior High. Okay. And then from Sam Houston, I went to Tascosa. Okay. And tell me about that experience just as a teenager, you know, moving seventh grade. That's kind of a a big time for kids, you know, there's a lot of change and and that's a hard time to move. So how how did that work for you? So in the transition, when I got to Sam Houston, I had no friends, didn't know anybody here. We didn't have any family. So being the new kid on the block, at first it was kind of hard, kind of reminded me of the show Mean Girls after, you know, (laughs) but then after I got in there and I met friends, we became family and we're still friends today. A lot of my junior high friends were still friends today. Okay. And then tell me about Tascosa as you got toward, you know, graduation. Did you know what you wanted to do? Yes. I dropped out in the 11th grade. That's how much I knew I okay. wanted to do. All right. Um, we had uh, cooking. We had a class where we'd go to work. 
we could go to work half a day and go to school half a right, day. Right, right. Well, when I started working and making that money, to me, I thought that money was it. Working at McDonald's right there on Western across mm-hmm. from Tesco. So You're making the big bucks. Making the big bucks. And in 11th grade, I quit school. Wow. Okay. How was that received by your family? Not well, because I'm the baby of okay. four girls from my mom, and they all graduated. Hmm. And I did not. And so whenever... I quit. She was livid. She says, I just wanted you to walk. I wanted all four of you to walk. Yeah. But today she's proud of me. She. So. Oh, what happened from there after you? From there. And you two, started your career at McDonald's. I started my career at McDonald's, worked there for about six years. Okay. Became a manager. So I did Excel, but then I left. And so then after I left, I became a CNA. And so one day. Um, Wait, my, what's a CNA? A certified nursing assistant. Okay. And um, after the CNA, then. I thought, okay, I, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Well, I ended up homeless. Homeless, okay. Yes, and I I was a recipient of Martha's Home. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they helped me. They had a program called New Beginnings, and they paid your rent for six months and helped you get back on their feet. But not only that, they taught you bud- budgeting and getting your GD. I went back to school in 2010 and got my GD from Region 16. And from there, I just continued on with my college education. Okay, so we just covered a whole lot of territory there in that that brief statement. So that's a nice summary of it. I want to hear, if you're okay talking about it, about uh, becoming homeless. Because obviously, you had a job at McDonald's, mm-hmm. uh, may not have paid the big bucks, but it was a good job. If you're in a management mm-hmm. position, that's reliable. If you were a uh, a nursing assistant. I assume that you had work. So what happened? Life happened. Um, I was in a relationship and it just went sour. Um, ended up couldn't pay my rent. It wasn't due to drugs or anything like that. I just life happened. Mm-hmm. I went through a form a phase of depression. Okay. And I needed help. Yes, I had family here, but at the time, because of the area I was in, they really didn't reach out to help, which I think was a time that God was really trying to get me to learn of him. Hmm. And that's what happened. That's that's a story that we don't hear very often. People think of homelessness and they think, oh, well, that's somebody who has, you know, maybe they're struggling with some some mental problems. Maybe, um, you know, they are addicted to drugs or alcohol or something like that. And it's not always a story like yours where a relationship goes bad or where the circumstances just all kind of end up in a perfect storm that gets you kicked out of a home. And I couldn't pay for childcare. So even though I was working and I had two jobs, I was working, but I couldn't be, even when I was at Martha's home, I was still working. And they, I was one of the ones that did everything by the book. Mm-hmm. And so they would let me stay out later where you were supposed to usually be in that 10. They would help me because they knew I was trying to get back on my feet. Um, I never forget. I had to stay at the Salvation Army for the first three days before I transitioned over into really? Martha's home. With children? Or? With kids. Oh, wow. And my kids had never saw anything like that. At that time, they were five and seven. Okay. And we walked in and um, it just wasn't what they were used to. And so to tell them, hey, we have to go stay here for three days. And I never forget I had just gotten paid and left my cash check in my Bible and walked out of the Salvation Army, walked out and walked out to my hubcaps being gone. And so at that point, I think God was trying to tell me, do you trust me? And I need to lead you. I didn't know Christ at the time. Hmm. So, but I was learning of him. Got back and my Bible was still sitting on the table, money still there. Hmm. So that started our transition of homelessness. And we ended up transitioning over to Martha's home where we stayed for 30 days. And in that transition is when I had to teach my kids. And I think too, because they were so used to getting everything that it's less fortunate people out there. Yeah. So. 
How did you learn about Martha's home? Like, how did you end up there? I scrolled through the phone book. Okay. And I, at that time, I told you I was brand new to Christ. And I said, where do I go? Where do I go? Mm -hmm. And that, it stuck out to me. And so. Was it difficult to get in? I mean, I assume they had space for you. And sometimes that's an issue, but. After the three days, because you have to go to Salvation Army first for three days Mm -hmm. before you transition over. So after I did that, a room came open the third day after I was there. Okay. So they were full before, but then when a room came open. What was the Salvation Army like? I've heard stories about it, you know, from from men, you know, single men who don't have dependents that are, I mean, what what does that feel like to be a mom with young kids? And you're worried about yourself. You're worried about the cash in your Bible. You're worried about your kids. I was worried about my kids because when we, that was my first time. I was been homeless twice. That was my first time. And um, when I, when we walked in and we had to share a room. that With other people? Yes. We had to share a room with another family. Okay. And that was not, we weren't used to that. Sure. Because we didn't know them. They didn't know us. We didn't know, you know, their background. And um, I remember my daughter was so scared to take a shower with her shoes off. Hmm. So she would shower in her shoes. Okay. Um, just because it was different, you know, but it taught me some things. Have you talked to your kids um, about what they remember about those early days, you know, now that they are much older at this point? Yes. Um, I have four grandkids now, so my daughter, she, I talk to her quite often uh-huh. and my son, but my daughter never. She says it taught me not to want to get to that place, Yeah. even though we didn't understand what you were going through at that time. It taught them not to want to get there and to help others that are there. So they look at both sides of it. Okay, so let's talk about Martha's home. Tell me about the impact that it had on you as you tried to get back on your feet. It had such a large impact. As I was trying to get back on my feet, Martha's home was a new beginning for me. Mm-hmm. Literally, they named the, the program. It, it, it suits its name. Yeah. Um, as you go in, you have to stay 30 days before they help you. You have to stay in one of the houses. Okay. So as you're staying in one of the houses, they teach you how to wash clothes. You have to do it as a community. You have to cook once a week. You have to, you have your days of cleaning. And then in that instance, we had our own one bed, our own room in a house. And um, we were able to go, they were helping us get back. We had to pay a dollar a day. And we, at that time I was on food stamps. Mm -hmm. And so we would have to provide food for the home for all the families when it was our turn to cook. So that was teaching me how to get structured, mm-hmm. more structured. And then they help you with classes. Um, they help you with classes also where you go once on Thursday nights and they teach you with the budgeting. They teach you, if you don't have a GED, they help you get into classes. Right. They teach you all those kind of things. Did it feel like sort of a, I guess, a safety net, you know, as you were getting started, as you're trying to find work to, you know, it, learn how to handle money, all those things that, that it kind of... <laughs> Gave you something solid to stand on. Yes, it gave me security uh-huh. to know that I have a I had a roof over my head and that I could stay there up to six months if I needed to, or three months, three to six months. But it it gave us secu- it gave me security. It gave me a form of family of mm-hmm. uh, the depression because sometimes a lot of times people think just because you have family and friends here in the city that that should help you with that depression. Sometimes it needs to be an outsider that you don't know that comes in to minister to you in that place okay. where you're at. How long were you there? I was there actually 31 days. Okay, that's all. Yes, 31 days I was there. And then they partnered up with the apartment complex here in Amarillo, and they helped me get a two-bedroom for me and my kids. And they paid our rent, a a portion of our rent for six months. Okay, and so tell me me about that transition then out of it and how you you managed that. Like what was the role that 
you know, the rent assistance played? Mm-hmm. And then, then what did you do to kind of get back on your feet? To get back on my feet, I went and got a better job. I actually, I started at Park Central 18 years ago. Is oh, okay. where, where the job I went to, where I'm at now, and um, had my CNA license. So I went ahead and started there. Once I transitioned out, once my 31 days were up and we, I completed the program of, and they could see that I could stand on my feet again, then they transitioned me out. They paid, I think I paid $100 a month for six months. Hmm. And then they helped me with furniture from the downtown's women's uh, shelter at that time. Right. They helped me with that. And so they furnished my home for me. They paid the rent. and But they would check up. They did checkups every two weeks. Sure. They came in and checked up to make sure no one was living with you and different things like that and making sure you were okay, making sure the kids had everything that they needed. How long was it before you felt kind of stable? Because um, I know there still must have been a lot of uncertainty. I mean, you go through <laughs> that 31 days. You go through the three days at the Salvation Army. Even landing in your own apartment, it's got to feel like, I don't know, I might lose this, or or how are we going to stay here? It was scary, because I was thinking, what am I going to do after the six months? Mm -hmm. But I learned. What they taught me, I put it into action. And so paying that rent and then then transitioning into the apartment and keeping it, then once the six months was out, I was able to still pay the rent because they still kept it. They Team, they partnered with an apartment complex mm-hmm. that the rent wasn't so high that you would not be able to reach that. Okay. And so then after I did that, I went back to school. I took After I got the GED, I went back to school, and then I ended up buying a home. Okay. So where did you go to school then? I went to Amarillo College. Okay. And got after I got my uh, GED at Region 16, I went to Amarillo College. And I first graduated with an entrepreneur certificate. Okay. Because I was wanted to own my own business. And then I went back and got an associate's degree. Uh, associates of arts. Okay. What was the goal at that point? I mean, you, you were a nursing assistant, mm-hmm. but like you had larger, you know, intentions than that. <laughs> so what, you know, when you, when you think about owning a business, what did you want to do back then? I wanted to own my own personal care homes. I I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to care for people. That's my heart's desire is to care for the elderly. So starting my own care homes, um, because I love geriatrics. I love to care for people. I want to make sure that they're healthy. I want to make sure that they have a longevity of life, even mm-hmm. though they might not have the activities life they used to. So starting my own care homes, and then I wanted to be a nurse. Okay. Yes. Did you have, you know, when, when you went to Emerald College, you know, they also had nursing programs. Did you mm-hmm. think about doing that there, or did you have uh, an idea that you're going to go back to school even after the first couple of I thought degrees? I was going to continue on for business. Okay. Because I, I thought I was just going to keep continuing for business, and then once... I got into the CNA and I thought, you know what? I may be a good nurse one day, hmm. you know? And so that's how I went from there. And then I kept going to school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you dropped out the first time. And then after yes. that, you just couldn't stop, right? Because my goal, my, when my mom told me she wanted me to walk, my mm-hmm. goal was to walk a stage for my mom. Okay. And so I told her, now I'm not only going to walk one, I'm going to walk multiple. Okay. So, so tell me, what degrees do you, do you have then? I mean, so what have you walked? I have... Uh, marketable skills a certificate. Okay. I have the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur certificate. I have an associates of arts and science, and then I have another associates from Tarrant County College in Fort Worth. Okay, and now I'm at WT, where I am attain- obtaining my bachelor's degree in May of this this year. Okay, are you in pursuit of like an RN degree? I am or? in pursuit of. Uh, an associate of arts with specialization in behavioral sciences. Okay, and then I'm going to go back and get my PhD and do a dual. All right. So, so you've got a, a long road still ahead of you. Yes, sir. I want to talk. Well, there's a lot to talk about, um, but I, I'd like to hear a little bit, just because 
I know this is something that most people have not experienced. You you talked about the difficulty in finding childcare and affording childcare for your kids mm. when they were young, and you're a working mom, you know, who's who's struggling. Um, tell me about that. Why why that can hold you know single mothers back and and keep them from from finding a job, from working multiple jobs. You know that maybe they're making only enough money to pay for that childcare, and they they don't have anything else. That's exactly what it is. Um, that's, I think, what started my depression mm-hmm. because I was having to choose. Do I pay child care or do I pay rent? Do I pay child care or do we eat? And I had to pay child care so they could, so I could go to work. Right. So that single, being a single mom, that's hard because you, some days you have to choose, do I feed my kids or what do I do? If you don't have that child care money, they stop your help. So you're, it's like you're gridlocked. So that I think now, because the pandemic, I think that now that I see both sides and mm-hmm. where I was as a single mom, that it's actually stopping a lot of people from wanting to go back to work. Right. I think there are um, there are some solutions to that, but they are big solutions that require some government assistance and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And it's always a lot more complicated, I mm-hmm. think, than a lot of people think. Yes. Tell me how you dealt with the depression aspect. I try to deal with it on my own. And it just spiraled me further into a hole. Mm-hmm. But after when I got to Martha's home, I learned how to reach out to other people and learn that they helped me. I had to like go to counseling when we would go on the Thursdays. They'd have extra counseling for at the Church of Christ. They would have extra counseling. And I would talk about my issues, talk mm-hmm. about what was bothering me. Before I would hold everything in. Now I'll talk about it and tell you. And, and then, you know, because I don't want to hover that depression because I didn't look like I was depressed. Right. I always smiled. I was always okay. I always laughed. I never looked like I was sad or down. So nobody really ever knew, but on the inside I was dying. Yeah. You could put on a mask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Literally. Mm -hmm. I've talked to um, past guests who talk about depression as, as something that ebbs and flows, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they uh, get beyond it for a period, but, Sometimes it's always lurking there, and and they know that, and they learn to live with that, and they learn tools to to deal with it when it does come back. Has that been the reality for you, or was it like a one time thing, and and now you found the tools to get past that? It was not a one time thing. It was it was ongoing, especially in my thirties and my early forties. It was really going, and it still tries to keep creep up now. Mm-hmm. Now when I notice it, I counteract it right away. Okay, you know I always ask. Now I'm asking. Help my stinking thinking is how I think. Okay. Help my stinking thinking. So when I think down, I counteract it with the positive. So when those thoughts come in, my aunt told me when I was younger, kill them with kindness. She was talking about the mean girls. But now those thoughts that are not, kill those mean thoughts with kindness is how I take it now. Okay. You've got a mean girl in your head. (laughs) Yes. You're having to deal with. (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about the business aspect because I, I I know that you know you mentioned uh, your desire to um, to create and operate your own long term care communities. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me what that looked like over the past few years. Over the past few years, um, I was in Dallas, the Dallas Fort Worth area, and I was working at the hospital. So then I came back right as the pandemic hit in twenty. Okay, and I launched a care home. Those I always wanted to do that. So I launched the care homes and then I ended up selling to go and work where I'm at now. But the business side of it, I always thought something small and then I would go out and branch into a bigger. But it just right now is just not. I was going to say the 2020 time. was a really hard time 
to be in a long-term care facility at all, much mm-hmm. less to start one. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience like? Starting the experience, I went through, I would say a birthing, because nine months, it seemed like I went through <laughs> all birthing pains that Multiple you could stages. possibly think of. And it wasn't easy. When I tell you, it, if you don't have faith, I don't know what can keep you. Hmm. Be- and, and hope, even in the midst of the pandemic, because I launched in August of the pandemic, got here in May, launched in August, and nine months of birthing mm-hmm. to where it seems like you're just going to crumble. That's when the depression really started to try to come back in. But I had to know you you got it in you. You've made it this far. You've done this before. This is not your first rodeo. You've done this before. And so that transition, it was hard financial financially. Mentally and physically, it was hard. A lot of times I was working my own shifts. Oh, wow. 24-hour shifts. 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Did you move back to Amarillo just to start that? I moved back to be closer to family during the pandemic okay. because I was away from family and I wanted to be closer to my mom. I'm always interested in the perspective of people who you know, spend a lot of time in Amarillo and then they move away someplace like the Metroplex mm-hmm. and then come back. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel like Amarillo had changed any? In the years that you were gone? It's changed a a little bit. It's changed a lot. Um, To the eyesight, it's changed a lot. Okay, visually then. Yes, visually it's changed a lot. Mentally, I think we still have a lot of growth to do. Hmm. What what does that mean when you say that? We need to evolve with the times a lot. For our younger generation, there's not... I think we need to evolve for our youth Mm -hmm. and even for our young adults. To give them something to do within our city. It's a lot of things that they just don't have access to. Like entertainment options or work? I mean, is, entertainment or all options, those things. All of them. Entertainment options, um, work. Um, it, I think it would keep a lot of our teens out of trouble if they would evolve with some of the things that the other cities are doing, like with activities, different activities. Okay. And then some type of reentry program to keep the crime down, hmm. to give the people that are coming out of incarceration. We need to evolve with those times. So Those programs those, that you are aware of, like in, in a larger city like Fort Worth, yes. um, you saw how, the, how those were working. Yes. We don't, we don't have something like that here. Not, no. At least not to, not that, that I quality, know. I guess. Yes, that quality. Yes. With, with your long-term care facility... Um, what was it called? It was called Jason's Bay. Where did that name come from? Because I like that name. <laughs> I know Jason, <laughs> and everybody asked me that. I don't. I didn't know a Jason, um, and I prayed. It was me and my best friend. We were sitting there, and I said, "Okay, God, if you're telling me to open this business, I need a name, mm-hmm. literally." And he dropped Jason's Bay, and I thought, "Okay, that's weird." And she says, "What is it?" And I said, "He said Jason's Bay," and I Googled. If it's God, I Googled, if it's God, it has to be somewhere. Yeah, you can find a URL. Yeah, and I Googled, is there a Jason in the Bible? It was, he is. He's in Acts the 17th chapter. Yeah, one of the Apostle Paul's cousins. Yes, and he took him in, and he paid his own ransom because they took him to jail because mm-hmm. he hid Paul and, Paul and thought us on their journey. So what, how big was the facility? At the time, we had a five-bedroom facility. Okay, so pretty small. Mm-hmm. It was pretty small. They were all small. They were um, three to five. We could keep three patients, and then sometimes we would have a respite patient okay. that could come in. And then we had an office there on the premises. So a lot of people, and I know this is not what you do, mm-hmm. um, or you don't own it anymore, but mm-hmm. a lot of people, they think of long-term care or elder care or something, and they think that you know a large nursing home or a large assisted living center, a place like Park Central. Mm -hmm. 
Um, not knowing that there are private options like yours that are much smaller, much more intimate. Um, tell me, tell me about some of the the benefits of uh, an approach like you had. The benefits of the care homes, you can get the more one on one care. Mm-hmm. You don't have a ratio of maybe five to a one to five, one caregiver to five patients. Okay. You have the smaller ratio of that. They do get the smaller meals, and then they can pick what they want to eat okay. a lot of times. It's a little more flexibility then. A little more flexibility, and we still work with every home health hospice, doctor's office, anybody that they want to work with can still come into the home. Okay. So you get those benefits, and then you just get the the main benefit is the one-on-one. They get the one-on-one. And so I, I know that it was a goal for you to open one of those, but you eventually sold it and, and have moved beyond that. So tell me about that process. Why did you decide to get out? <laughs> I got out. Um, I'm always, I say I'm always, um, I'm a go-getter. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, Baptist Community Services called me, a lady that works there. She says, I really feel like you're supposed to come work for us. <laughs> and so I said, well, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. And I had went through that nine months of labor <laughs> from the business <laughs> and Finally, I prayed and the door opened and I, I walked through. It's it's a learning experience. Um, I get to meet lots and lots of people. I love it. And um, the transition wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. The first month I cried. When I sold, I cried because that was my baby. Yeah. You know, that nine months you gave birth and then you leave. But it was time for someone else to raise it. Was it hard to find someone to buy it? No. I have a protege. Her name is okay. Lisa Naff. And so she she bought it. She, she was there and in, in position and ready to take over. Because mm-hmm. she has... Well, she has some already. Okay. So. so tell me what you do now at Park Central then. At Park Central, I am a sales liaison counselor, and we sell. I do the independent living side. Okay. And so I do Park Central, I do Harrington, and I do Continental. And those are our independent livings. And then we have uh, assisted livings on our community as well, and we also have, which is our licensed buildings, and someone else does that. Okay. And when you say you, you do sales, um, what does that look like? Is it families coming because they're thinking, all right, Mom needs to find a place, you know, that's not at her house, but she's still got the independence, you know, and, and so you're just working with them to find mm-hmm. a room or an apartment or, or something like that within your premises. Mm-hmm. Which what we do is families come in, men or women, and they say we need to find an apartment for mom. She, her mm-hmm. house is too big and we just don't want her living by herself anymore. So we come in, we show them the apartments. They're all fully kitchened. They're all, they can, we have one, two and three bedrooms. Um, and we show them, they choose, and they we make that connection with them because they're not they're coming home away from home. Right. So tell me about that transition personal personally from being an owner of a business, <laughs> someone who's working sometimes twenty four hours on that mm-hmm. business, to being in a position where you're you're working for a much larger organization. Mm-hmm. Um, was that a difficult transition? I mean, I know you said you cried for a month, so yeah. obviously there was <laughs> there's a little bit to deal with. But like, tell me how that went. It was a difficult transition, but I liked. The eight to five, mm-hmm. getting off and not having phone calls twenty four seven. Because when I had my own business, I was on call twenty four seven. Now I can go home and actually rest, which helps with my depression that I had. Um, I could go home and rest. The transition was pretty easy. Marketing is my life. I mm-hmm. love to market. Um, I love to make relationships. So that was that part was easy. I never see anything. If they say I can't go do it, I'm gonna make sure. Right. I love to challenge myself. So tell me about. I guess the fulfillment of the actual work, because you're still working for families. You're still working to provide care um, to elderly people, uh, although it's in a different capacity. What do you what do you enjoy about what you do? I enjoy seeing the smiles on their faces once they find an apartment that's suitable for them. 
to see their heart smile and they're because when they come in they're scared. Yeah. The families it's the, a, it's a hard transition. The, yes, the children are scared and the the resident is scared. They're scared because they're leaving their home. They're leaving mm-hmm. their normal to come to something different. And, and there's usually it. a reason for it. It's because maybe mom fell mm-hmm. or has had trouble taking care of the house. Like there's there's often some stress involved mm-hmm. that has forced them into that decision. Mm-hmm. But to see that sigh of relief on their face after we explain to them what we do and all the services we provide, to see that sigh of relief on not only the, the children but the parent, and then they hug you after that, that's what makes me hmm. What do you like about Park Central? If, if you think of, let's say, a retirement community mm-hmm. or long-term care, they're like the big gorilla, you know, mm-hmm. in Amarillo. They're <laughs> they're the biggest one. They've been here a long time. Uh, and you went from, like, literally one of the smallest to one of the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me what you like about that. I like their core values, what they stand on. Um, I also like how they treat their employees. Hmm. We are not just a number. We are not somebody to just put in a building. They really value their employees, and then they really want to make sure that who they move into those buildings are treated with integrity, dignity, and still keep that respect. Does that feel unique to you in in the long-term care world, where you know there are a lot of negative connotations mm-hmm. that, that maybe families have experienced in other places, feeling like, you know, they're their loved one kind of got lost in the system or, or something like that. Is you know, it being a um, a religiously backed and mm-hmm. focused company, mm-hmm. does that make that care a little bit different in your mind? It does, because I think they look at the residents and everyone through the father's eyes. Hmm. Um, and I've worked in multiple, especially when I was a CNA, and to come back and see some of the same employees there when I left 18 years ago are still there. Still working there. They're yeah. still there. And the residents are smiling. They're happy. And it feels like home, and it doesn't feel like a facility. Mm-hmm. That's a fear that a lot of families yes. have. That, you know, they they end up in a place where, like, they feel like that's a last resort. Mm-hmm. There's a reason it's a last resort because they don't want to hand you know mom or dad over to someone and you know be gone from them so many hours a day. Mm-hmm. You got to have a lot of trust mm-hmm. in that in that world. And you have to, you have to have a lot of trust when you don't when they're bringing someone to you. That's a life in your hands. Mm-hmm. They're tr- entrusting you with their loved one. And so they're they're entrusting you that if they're gone out of the country, if they're gone somewhere else, they're going to still be the same way they were when they get back. And a lot of times I think the fear is because of what they've seen before. But I can tell you Park Place has changed the game. Hmm. So I don't know if you'll answer this question or not, but I know that you have, you told me you have large plans. You want to get your your doctorate. You you know want to start businesses, all those things. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like where you are now is like a stepping stone to something else? Yes, I I think that's why the door opened. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's a stepping stone, even though I'll I'll always be a Park Central family member. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a stepping stone. And it's just it's just another phase to get me to where I want to be at. What's the ultimate goal? My ultimate goal eventually is to own my own assisted living, to partner with a partner and to own my own assisted living. That's way farther down the line, but that's something I want to do. That's been in my heart to do. And I imagine larger than, you know, your your five resident facility, <laughs> you know, something a little bigger than that. Yes, I want at least a, a large type B. Okay. A large type B facility. What's next then in order to get to that goal? In order to get to that goal, I'm going to finish my bachelor's and mm-hmm. then go in and have my PhD by um, the time I'm 50, which will be by 2023. 
Okay. So I will have that's, my PhD. That's not long. That's not long. So you, you better stop doing this podcast and go get to work. <laughs> I know, but I, I'm, I believe me. When I, I take six classes, usually at a time because I like to get done. Yeah. And um, so by 2023, I'll have my PhD, and then after that, I'll I'll see what what life brings. Okay. So the the last question is, um, you know, does that life that you're looking for does that stay in Amarillo, or do you think it eventually takes you out of Amarillo? Eventually, it will take me out of Amarillo. I am a city, large city girl, okay. even though I'm born in Hereford. I love the city, and it's the the ambiance of the city mm-hmm. is what I like the most. But Amarillo will always be home, always. Is Amarillo a good place to kind of lay that foundation? Yes. And then take that, you know, whether it's because the you know universities are a little more affordable here or standard of living is a little bit lower here, and then you can take that to a, a larger city. I will always have a house here in Amarillo. Okay. I'll always come back home. Um, this is where my mom is based. My dad's in New Mexico, Clovis. So I'll always be based here, but then I will always, I'll, I'll move abroad. Are you surprised looking back at all the twists and turns of your life that you've ended up where you are now? Yes. And my mom, she, she tells me, I never thought you'd be where you're at now. She tells me that. And she says, I'm so proud of you. Now she tells me for when she was mad at me when I quit school. To now it's, I never thought you'd be where you are today. So owning a, my own nonprofit and then just transitioning, you know, into the woman that I became. But it, it took my downfalls for me to get here. Hmm. It took me falling for me to rise again. This podcast is sponsored by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years and my kid's dentist too. He's an Invisalign premier provider and has provided those treatments in Amarillo since 2003, using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning, and it has worked in my own family. We're lucky to have Dr. Sauer's knowledge and expertise here in Amarillo. Follow Shimon Dental on Facebook to learn more or visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Okay, I'm back with Marcy Stewart. Marcy, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a scale model of a large Antelope Creek village ruin, which was located about 50 miles northeast of Amarillo. The village was occupied until around 1450, um, so it was really old. Uh, you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay. The first question I wanted to ask you is one that I've been asking most of my guests for the past year or so, and it's what's one thing the pandemic has revealed to you about local people? That they pull together in times of trouble. Okay. What does that look like? At the hospitals Mm -hmm. in different places when there was food getting delivered to the people that were, you know, first responders, Mm -hmm. the, the essential workers, as they called them, people were bringing food, donating food and looking, you know, just stepping in, anybody that could step in. Even now, when they were shorthanded, you had people that weren't just CNAs coming to help care and do testing and different things like that to make sure everybody was safe. What did that look like from inside your care home? You it, had to deal with families and yes. try to protect their loved ones who were very vulnerable at that point. Yes, and they wanted to come in and we really couldn't. So we would do the Zoom calls. We would mm-hmm. try to make sure we had every avenue set for them to still see their loved ones. And we were we made sure that no one was going to pass away without their loved one there. Oh, yeah. So, Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? To me, I think we have too many restaurants. But <laughs> Too many restaurants? Yeah. not a, We have too many restaurants. 
Not a variety of restaurants. We just have too many restaurants. Is that, in your mind, like too many restaurants, period? Too many chain restaurants? Too many restaurants along I-40? I mean, what... When I say Categorize too, that so. too many restaurants and not enough, when I say too many restaurants, it's like you can see a restaurant at every corner. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to have, instead of more restaurants, bring in more different type of places other than restaurants. Okay. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? We don't have enough five-star hotels. That's so true. <laughs> we do not have enough five-star hotels. Um, and we don't have enough family-oriented kid activity venues like top you know like like top golf golf or something Mm -hmm. like that we do have stuff but not a variety when i say a variety like evolving with different ones coming in and not just where you have to go to the same place all the time to get that activity because sometimes you want the adult kid activity and still you know so you can intermingle with your kids yeah parents and kids can do stuff together instead of just sitting and watching the kids play yes yes that is you know top golf is is one of those things i've had people ask me about that why do we not have one Mm -hmm. I really don't have a good answer. I don't know if there's a certain population that they're looking for, um, but it seems like the kind of thing that would do really well in Emerald. Yeah, I think it would. You can get beyond the wind at Mm -hmm. some point. (laughs) It doesn't blow you away. (laughs) How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? I tell people it's a place that you can come and raise your kids and that you can make life happen. Hmm. You can make life happen. What does that mean? You can make a living here. Mm-hmm. You can come here and be safe. You, They're friendly people. And I tell them I had moved to Atlanta. Not, okay. And then I came back because and I'll tell people there's no place like home. And when Dorothy said that, she meant that. There's no place like home. You know, I was clicking my heels to get back. Mm-hmm. But there's no place like home. Amarillo is home. Amarillo is a place where you can feel safe. It's changing, mm-hmm. but you can feel safe and raise your kids here and not have to worry about too much like you do in other cities. How long were you in Atlanta? I was in Atlanta eight months. Okay. That was my second time where I became homeless. Oh, okay. Living in a wow. Super 8. So, uh, yeah, that's a whole other story. I guess we could do another podcast about that. We'll just <laughs> we'll set that aside. Um, what's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? I don't have per se a favorite neighborhood. I grew up in Hamlet, the Hamlet area. Okay. But I lived, we've lived on the south side. When I Even when I moved back, I live on the south side. So, but I do like the historic area where they have the old houses in Wooflin. Right. And I, so I like that area a lot. Okay. What was it like growing up in Hamlet? Hamlet was fun at the time when I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was family. You could still get in trouble by your neighbor. Yeah, really close. And, yeah, and we could walk late at night and actually sleep outside when uh, I was a teenager and actually sleep outside. Like just for fun? Yeah, just for fun. We would sleep outside sometimes on the front porch or we'd go <laughs> to Hamlet Park and sleep on the slides and we, we, knew, we knew we were safe. Um, so growing up in Hamlet was fun. It was like a community all in itself. Hmm. There's also a Jason Street over in that area, it is. isn't there? It is. <laughs> I've, always, I've always known. I like Hamlet because of it that is. reason. What's your favorite local restaurant? I know that you think there are too many, but is, is there one that you like? I like Delvin's a okay. lot. It's uh, the down-home good cooking, the mm-hmm. soul food. I love Delvin. Now, you're a little bit closer to their downtown location mm-hmm. since you're at Park Central. Mm-hmm. Do you go to that one or do you go to the original? We do. We go to that one. Okay. Um, Delvin actually used to be the chef. Mm-hmm. At, at Park, Park Central. Central. Yeah, that's where I first met him. Yes. And so now that he's there, we do eat there. Okay. Usually I go on Thursdays, which I don't need to tell you what I eat, but I do go there on Thursdays. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably figure that out. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Sixth Street. Okay. I like Sixth Street. The, the stretch. I like the stretch, the antique stores. Route 66, mm-hmm. yeah. The Route 66. All right. And when was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? When I was a little girl. 
and the train ride. I was terrified of Oh, the sad monkey train. <laughs> sad and, monkey railroad. Yes. And so I got on there and I thought, and I haven't been back since. I told my kids, I said I was going to take it, but now the train's gone, so it's no, yeah. you know, so. Well, you should still take them. That's, that was a long time ago. Yes, it was a long time ago. Railroad's no longer afraid. there, sadly, but I rode it a lot of times when I was a kid. I did too. Okay, Marcy, that concludes uh, eight straight section of the show. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? I'd like to them experience um, Marcy Stewart Ministries and the Refinery Church. They okay. go hand in hand. Um, Marcy Stewart Ministries is your yes, own is my own nonprofit. Thing. My own nonprofit organization where we have a helping hands ministry where we've been helping silently for the last two years single parent homes. We've been help feeding. We've been helping with gifts or gift cards during Christmas. Okay, with no questions asked. It's not us asking. They don't have to do no, something in no, order to get the no. benefits that you offer. They they fill out a form. We ask them what they need, and then we choose from certain uh, individuals of who we're going to help. Okay. That year. And then we also have a reentry program that will be starting this year that's going to help trouble teens that have been in jail or prison, young adults, men or women up to any age that have been in prison. When they come out, we want to help them find housing. We want to help them get their GED. Okay. We want to help them find uh, jobs as well. And I know you mentioned that that was something that Amarillo needed or yes. that Amarillo needed to do better. Why is that something that is important to you personally? My son got in, is incarcerated now okay, and has been incarcerated for two years. He was a troubled teen, a uh, single parent home. I was a single parent home, um, and I didn't know how to reach him as a boy, as a <laughs> young man. Yeah. I'm a woman, you know, and he, he often told me, you just couldn't figure out the signs, and I needed somebody. So he turned to the streets and ended up getting caught with a gun in his car and wouldn't tell whose the gun was, so he went to prison. Oh, okay. He went to prison. And he is um, got a sentence of four years. All right, four years, mm-hmm. a couple of years into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that that's not an uncommon story, especially among you know boys who who don't have a, a father figure, mm-hmm. and and that's that's so hard to deal with because as a single mom, you can do everything right, mm-hmm. um, and still end up in a situation like mm-hmm. that. And I I try to do everything right. I tried to put him in the best schools. I mm-hmm. tried to. Show him the way to go. It still wasn't enough. You know, he was still looking for that male figure yeah. to, to lead it. And then it was, a lot of times it would be the wrong example. So, so you've, you've started this, this reintegration program. Mm-hmm. Um, and your son may be a beneficiary of that, like, he, right? I mean, yes. he'd be the guinea pig when he gets to, to come out. And... He's going to be the guinea pig. It's called Zay's Hope. Because right. um, his name is Xavier. Okay. So it's called Zay's Hope. And he's going to be working in the program and also be a recipient of the program. We're going to have a gentleman over the program. Um, we're still in the process of getting him cleared and everything, but he will be over the overseer, and then Xavier will work under him. Wow, okay. Well, yes. I love that. Yes. I hope it works out for the organization, also Thank for you. him. You Thank know. You. Well, Marcy Stewart, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Marcy for the interview. You can learn more about her at marcystewardministries.org. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to my sponsors, Shimon Dental and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. If you like this podcast, and I hope you do, and since you've listened all the way here, I'm going to assume that it was okay, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a review if you want to. 
As usual, this podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local folks who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamorello. Heyamorello's executive producers include Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Jess Redia, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, and Wilson Lemieux. This has been episode 232. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>